today I'm really excited um, because I'm starting a new series. Starting, yeah, all right. Well, I like that. Y'all are excited about it. Starting a new series called Up in Smoke. Up in Smoke. Um, and and some people shout, listen, first of all, we need to, it's not, it's not about Cheech and Chong. We're not in Colorado. We're not that kind of church. So some of you, I just hope you got excited over genuine faith. But anyways, we're calling it up in smoke, up in smoke. And, and um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm, I'm acquainted with this phrase. Are you acquainted with this, this kind of a colloquialism we use? Up in smoke is a phrase we put on something, usually when something has gone wrong, when something is over, when something's not going to work out, or when something fell apart. Like, well, you know, we were going to go out to dinner, but then one of the kids had these great plans for dinner, one of the kids got sick, and our plans just went up in smoke, right? And, and it's a word that, that, or a phrase that we attach to something usually in, in finality when it didn't work out the way we had hoped that it was going to work out. We say, well, it went up in smoke. I had great plans for 2020, but they went, we were going to expand the business this year, but those plans went, thank you, 2020, right? I thought this was the one, but now that relationship went, so you are familiar with the phrase, up in smoke. And I thought, for me, because some things that I've walked through, um, I thought about in transitioning from 2020 into the hope of 2021, that it might be good to talk about what happens when things go up in smoke. And I thought it might be helpful to allow God to speak to our lives and situations when we feel like life has left us with a pile of ashes and we're trying to determine where we go from here, what we do from here. And I want to take some time and I want to explore that and I want to talk about that and I want to hear God with you concerning that because what I know is life seems to happen to everyone. What I know is everyone had a 2020. 2020 by far the worst year of my life. Maybe it was the worst year. Maybe it was a bad year. Whatever the case may be, everybody knows what it's like when life feels like it's gone up in smoke. And that's what I want to talk about. So if you're in Psalms, we're going to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a, is a psalm of David. Uh, some theologians call it the crown of the Psalms. It's really an incredible psalm. Probably you're familiar with it. We're going to read a portion of it. In fact, we're going to read uh, really three-fourths of so 75% of it um, together. But it is a psalm that is written in four stanzas. Um, it's incredibly accurate theologically. It's in is incredibly expressive in it as it talks about God and his workings and how he knows us. And it's a psalm that a lot of people turn to for encouragement in those dark times. It's written, as I said, in four stanzas, uh, six verses per stanza, 24 total verses. Most people believe that David wrote this psalm probably after he became king of Israel. So if you know the story, David was the shepherd boy, right? He was anointed king after Saul messed up. He went out, still served another, I can't remember, like 12 years. No, probably more than that. Another 15 years or so. 
uh, before he's actually made king. He becomes king of Judah. He's king of Judah for seven years. And then he becomes king of Judah and Israel, the United Kingdom, if you will, all of God's people for 33 years, thus being king for 40 years. It's the life and story of David. And we think that he wrote this psalm after he became king of Israel as well as Judah. The four stanzas in the first one, it talks about God is all-knowing. We call that omniscient, but God is all-knowing. The second stanza talks about God is all-present. The third stanza talks about God is all-powerful, omnipotent, we call it. And then the, the, the fourth stanza are just some petitions or um, some requests, and they're kind of dramatic in, their, um, in the diversity because he starts off with God, slay the wicked, how many of Beyonce? say, I prayed that prayer. I slay the wicked Jesus. And, and God, slay the wicked and let me pick who the wicked is. Yeah. Amen. Let's be honest in church. Yeah, praise the Lord. Um, and then he ends with this bold, crazy prayer that I don't even know if I recommend you pray unless you're so serious with God. Because David understood some things about our heart and he understands that, that some things can hide in our heart that even we're not aware of. And so David goes from slaying the wicked to, Lord, such my heart, make sure I'm not wicked. Like, I, probably a good prayer if you just said, Lord, slay the wicked. Now, I want to make sure I'm not wicked, Lord. So <laughs> probably wisdom in this prayer, yeah. wisdom in this song. Psalm 139 is incredible. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of three stanzas that talks about God's omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence. Psalm 139, we can look at it together. Verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. And some of you said, and Lord, you could have helped me that one time. I, I can just tell you, if you're like me and you kind of have foot and mouth disease, it's a real condition. There's not medication for it. You go before me and follow me. Come on. You're before me, behind me, beside me. Come on. That song we sing, the blessing, your favor. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I could never escape your spirit. Now he's talking about the presence of God. That was what God knows now. This is God's presence among us. I can't escape. I can't get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I, if I go to the farthest oceans, even there will your hand guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. God always wins at hide and seek. To you, the night shines as bright as day and darkness and light are the same. You made, now we're going to his power. You made all my delicate parts, inner parts of my body. You knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I love David because he does not have self-esteem issues. <laughs> David is looking in the mirror. He's like, God, you are so good. <laughs> Your workmanship is so marvelous. It's like those people at the gym that are in the mirrors taking pictures of themselves. Have y'all seen those? I'm just praying someday I think that highly of myself to take a selfie in the gym. If that's you, God bless you. You're amazing. You be you, boo. 
workmanship. How well I know it. I will say this. One thing David knew that maybe you need to know is that when God looks at you, he thinks he did a good job and you need to think that too. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark womb. You saw me before I was born. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me? Maybe you need to know that. Maybe you need to know today that God's thinking about you and he's only thinking good stuff. Right? Maybe that's your word today. Like God's thinking good things about you, not bad things. We always think God's thinking bad things because we think God thinks the way we think when God really wants us to think the way he thinks. He's like, God, you're thinking good stuff. And, and how many good thoughts? They can't be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still here, God. You are so good. You are still here. Psalm 139. I really just want to talk about one verse. It was verse 16. But it's so good, I thought we need to read. It's a good song. Verse 16, though, says, you saw me. This is where I got my title, so I got to tell you this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. I called this message, Don't Stop Your Story. Don't Stop your story. Can we pray? Jesus, help us. Speak to us. Change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 139. I love it because David makes this inference, and he makes this inference that, that our life is recorded in this book, that every day was written before our life began. That's, that's what he seems to indicate here. And, and one of the things that, that we know about God that we see in Scripture that we don't always talk about because it's just kind of tucked in it here and there is that God actually relates himself to us in some ways as an author, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He wrote the story of your faith. In fact, Peter said that he's the author of life. David here indicates that he wrote his story before it started, that God is an author. It's an incredible thought when you think about it. And Psalm 139 is one of those psalms that is, if you think about it, there's such hope. Oh, like God knows my story. God knows me. He knows everything about me. He formed me. He thinks good things towards me. And God authored my story. So my story is a good story. I'm so excited. And Psalm 139 is supposed to be one of those psalms that you turn to when life sucks to get you some encouragement. Have you ever done this? It's a bad day. I'm going to go to the Psalms. I'm going to find me a verse. I'm going to look for some encouragement. You brought me out of the miry clay. Lord, you made my feet like hinds feet so I could ascend the heights. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Whatever your psalm is, there's a lot of good ones in Psalm 139. It's one of those psalms that is supposed to be so, so very encouraging. It's a psalm that many people have turned to on such a dark day to know that God knows. God is with me. God is powerful. But I need to be honest with you. I need to be honest with you. 
Now, let me set a preference because you could be a guest and you may not know my story and I'm not going to tell my story, but I've been through a lot. And here's one thing we know. I am more screwed up than you. Yeah. So if you came in hoping for some man with a microphone that has it all together, I am sorry to disappoint you. I do not have it all together, but I can tell you Jesus can hold it all together. And without Jesus, it just all falls apart. So I just want to warn you, there are, I, there are wonderful pastors in this city that I think have it all together. I'd go listen to them. But if you need somebody who has it all together, it's probably not me. I don't have it all together. So I'm going to be real honest in a minute. You may say, oh, my God, he's a pastor. It's okay. Jesus is going to heal you. I was a human before I was a pastor. Because I need to be honest with you, a few months ago in my darkest year of my life, in my darkest moments of my life, when, when I remember just trying to get the kids to school before I started crying, or I remember sitting many times in my living room just crying because I couldn't stop crying because life sucked and nothing went the way I wanted it to go and everything fell apart and nothing made sense. And I talked to my counselor. He said, it's kind of hard when, not one, when it seems like you look at your life and not one stone is left standing on top of the other stone. And I'm like, I know. It stinks. It's bad. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of being upset. I'm wondering what happened. And I, talk, I turned to Psalm 139 because I needed some encouragement. And I got to verse 16. And I got mad. Because I read verse 16 and it said essentially that all my days God wrote in advance. And I said, hold up. You wrote this day? This is the best you could come up with? You're, all cre you're a creator and a writer. That makes you a creative writer. And this is the best. Because I've got some ideas that are a lot better than this. I have got, let me, I can submit to you some scripts. I can submit to you some stories, some ideas, plot twist, flip the script. I got great ideas. And here's the thing, God, all of my stories, I'll make you look like the hero. If you'll just accept one of my stories, they're all written to make you the hero. Yes, I end up on a beach in Hawaii, but you're the hero. You're the reason I got there. How many know what it is to submit a rough draft to God? <laughs> and that day, I, got, I, just, I want you to be honest. I, I just need to be honest with you. I got mad. I know you've never been mad at God. I know you've never been upset. I know you've never felt like he left you or you followed him into a mess. But I got to look and it's like God wrote this story like train tracks. And right here was a cliff. And then God said, this is a good story. I'll create a locomotive called Marty and put him on it and see how it goes. And that's how I felt. Like you wrote this story. You saw this day and still you created me and put me on this track for this mess. This is the best you could do. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but 
If you've ever been upset with God about how your life went, I feel you. I was upset. And then God, who is so nice because he doesn't kill us, just so good. Come on, somebody. How many have one of those conversations where like, thank you, Lord, you didn't kill me. I know I deserved it. God's up there. I brought you into this world. I could take you out. I know you could, Jesus. I created you. I'll kill. This is where your parents get all this. I'll kill another one. I'll kill you and raise up another one just like you. But God didn't do that. And God started to speak. And I wrote this message. And my thought is, if you've ever felt like life left you in the darkest pit, in the biggest pile of ashes, I just want to tell you what he told me. I think this could help you. Because what I know is everybody had a 2020. <laughs> Everybody's had life. And your ashes may look different than my ashes. But ashes are ashes. Darkness is darkness. Pits are pits. And God is God. So let's go. Let's dive into this together. It's going to be so good. I just have three points because I'm anointed. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. One for the Cowboys, one for the Rangers, one for the Mavericks. Come on, somebody pray for the Cowboys. Jesus. Mm, Jesus. We need an exorcism. Jesus. But write this down. And if you're, if you're there, if you didn't already put the title, just put the title. Don't stop your story. And then write down point number one. Drop it in the chat. Drop this in the chat. Number one, number one, surrender your script. Oh, it, it, okay. It's going to start with the hard work and get to the good stuff. But we got to start with the hard work. And the first thing you got to do is surrender your script. And you need to be honest that you had a script and part of your disappointment is God didn't follow it. Is that not true? Most of the time we are disappointed with God when God seems to, to move away from our script. When God doesn't seem to accept our narrative. And you need to surrender your script because God doesn't need your script. Listen, he's an author. He doesn't need your script, but he does need your surrender. Let me tell you what every story that you love in the Bible starts with. Because if I said, oh, the story of Noah, you're like, man, that man got saved from the flood. Mm. Abraham, that man became a great nation. Esther, she became the queen. And you know what? All of those great stories, David became the king, fill in the blank with whichever one you want. Let me tell you what they all have in common, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here's what every great story that you love from the Bible has in common. They all started with a yes. They all started with a surrender. Abraham was busy. David was a shepherd. Right? Esther was a Jew. Mary was trying to say yes to the dress, not prenatal vitamins. She was on Pinterest trying to find bridesmaid dresses that were nice but didn't make any of the bridesmaids look better than her. I've done a lot of weddings, y'all. 
I know how that works. Right? But every great story starts with a yes. You go through the Isaiah. Yes, Lord, you can send me. I will go for you. Peter, yes, I'll get out of this boat. They all start with a yes. And here's what we need to be honest about. Yes isn't easy. Because when you say yes to God's story, you're really saying no to your script. Now, we don't always know that in the get-go. We don't always know that's where we get-go. That's an that's a East Texan colloquial phrase from, for the beginning. Somebody's watching from South Dakota, like, get-go. <laughs> the beginning? The beginning. Mm-hmm. I graduated fourth from the bottom. And, um, and, and here's the truth of it is, is when we're saying yes to God, we're saying no. And the truth of the matter that we need to be really honest is most of the time, um, God's story is going to conflict with our script. Most of the time, very rarely is God's narrative and your narrative exactly the same. Even if you mean well. In fact, Proverbs 69 says, we make our plans, but then God directs our steps. Right. We make our plans, and then God says, that's so cool, I'm not going to use that. <laughs> so, Brody, that's awesome, we're going to go this way. God's purpose typically is incongruent with our plan, and here's why. God knows more, he's smarter, he's been around longer. And the real truth of it is this, and this is that point of faith that you have to come to, is the reason that God's purpose is incongruent with your plan is his purpose is greater than your plan. His story is greater than your script. And God won't surrender. Like any artist that's got a bestseller, he will not surrender his story to your script because he knows what he's written. And the real question comes down to, can you trust God? Can you trust God and surrender your script? Can you trust God and surrender your story? And we need to be honest, and I'm going to say this very nicely and softly and gently because in my old age, I no longer want to offend people. Like, I'm totally okay if you get offended. That can be your choice, but I don't want to offend you, right? You know, like, if the Holy Spirit offends you, y'all work that out. But I don't want to offend you because I love you. I think you're amazing. I'm just so glad you're here, right? But we need to be honest because a lot of Christians, a lot of times in Christendom, kind of the message is that if I come to God, he'll make my story work better. And in a way, we almost want to use God to fulfill our script instead of allowing God to use our life to fulfill his purpose. Like, like can we, can we be, be honest about that, that, that sometimes, and, and, and we don't mean to like, like, first of all, let me say, I think God wants good. He has good plans to give you a hope and a future, but it doesn't always look like we think it needs to look. And sometimes there are hard places and tight places. And we live in a world that's full of suffering and craziness, right? And we just need to be honest that sometimes in our immaturity, we come to Christ and think you're going to make my script glow. And God's like, no, <laughs> Because I've already written a story that is for my glory. And ultimately, when we come to God, what we're actually saying is, God, what we're actually saying is, you, you, you are the author 
Therefore, you are the authority of my life. You're the author of life. And I'm going to submit and surrender my story to you. I remember sitting across a mentor of mine and I was explaining to him how life was over. It was a great conversation. Wish you could have been there. So encouraging. (laughs) And I said, "I, I don't know how to even move forward from here. Like I'm stuck. Incredible guys, just and just in the body of Christ. Like I don't even know how I got. I don't even know why I was sitting there with him. Like, I was, like I don't even understand how I even got in that room. But, but he looked at me and he, he knew the story. He knows the story. And we talked and he looked at me and he said, "You're gonna get. You're gonna get out of this and move forward the same way you got to here. Your life has been marked by surrender." And surrender has brought you here and surrender will bring you out. Don't stop your story. Don't stop your surrender. If you stop your surrender, you stop your story. Because here's what I know. Yes is never a one-time proposition with God. Don't you wish that it was? Don't you? I said yes when I was nine in VBS. And that was all that was ever required. No. No, because it doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul who says yes after getting knocked off of his horse onto his donkey. I'm going to give you time. Bless you. And then he goes on. He has to be lowered out of cities and baskets and he has to be hidden. And then he has to go here and he has to go there and he's imprisoned and shipwrecked. He just kept saying yes. Or if you're Peter and he said yes and got out of the boat and then one day everybody left because Jesus came out with this new series. It was either Jesus or Alice Cooper or something like that. But they came out with Eat My Flesh and Drink My Blood. That was the name of the series. Could have been Ozzy. I don't know. But anyways, that that didn't go so well. And Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus is like, you're going to leave. And Peter again says, no, I'm going to stay with you. you. You have the words of life. In fact, you follow Peter's life. It, it's, it's a series of yeses. And the final, one of the final yeses we see with him and Jesus even is after Peter has denied Christ and Jesus came back to cook him breakfast because he's a big on the first meal of the day kind of Jesus. Yeah. Of course, they were having fish for breakfast. Yeah. That might be a little much for me. How many like you some bacon for breakfast? Bacon, yeah. Jesus. Mm. I'd be okay with fish if it were drowned in bacon grease. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Then Peter, this is what you need to know. At the end of your life, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And you're going to wear what you don't want to wear. And you're going to come to an end that you didn't want to come to. Here's what Jesus said. You're never going to stop saying yes. You're never going to stop saying yes. And the secret of of when life has left us ashes, the way out of the ashes is to keep surrendering the script. Don't stop the story. Here's the second thing. You write this down. It gets better. It gets better. I like this one. This is a fun one. Ask a better question. Oh, come on, y'all. Put that in the chat. Ask a better question. By the way, you may want to share this. You watch it online, share it with whoever you can share it, whatever platform, share it. They probably need to ask a better question too. Ask a better question. When we go through hard things, what is the question we like to ask? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. 
How many think it's a good question? I personally think it's a great question. It was the first question I learned to ask. You can ask my mama. I was so good at asking why. Why, 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 why not? Why, why? I can ask why like nobody's business because I want to understand. That's why we ask why, because we want to understand. And if you've ever asked why when life left you in ashes, you ever asked why when things didn't go very well, when something went up in smoke and you asked why, I want you to know you are in good company. Because most of us have, I have, but even I went to the Bible and I found out there were some really awesome men who asked why. Moses in Numbers 11, 11, make a wish, Numbers 11, 11. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Why, God, are you being mean to me? What did God do to be mean to him? Put him in charge of a few million people. <laughs> He's like, they're a hot mess. Why'd you do this, God? David said, oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Has anyone ever prayed that? Like, God, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Job why, God, have you made me your target? Ouch! If you've ever asked the question why you're in good company, you know why? Because Jesus did it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think why, that's just, that's just our humanity. That's just, that's just us trying to wrestle with what has just happened and the way that we are created to understand and to know. And so we ask why, but, but here's the truth, truth of it. Why is rarely ever answered by God. Like I wish, like I wish I could tell you, oh, you just ask God why he'll send you an email. <laughs> like just breaking it down for you. I wish. And as a pastor, I've sat with people in some of the hardest situations that life could ever throw at anybody. And I have wished that I could answer why. I've wished that I could explain their pain, their trauma, their ashes. I wish that I could give them something that would make it all make sense. But I have found I have no business trying to answer a question that God has not answered. And many times we as believers in, in, in the charity and the love in our heart who want to help people who are struggling and we try to answer the question why. And when we answer a question God isn't answering, sometimes we create a, create a doctrine that God didn't want created and we come up with a way of believing and thinking that God did not want us to believe and think all because we just wanted understanding that God was not giving. And I've just found sometimes it's just better to say it sucks. And I hate it. And it's painful. And it's dark. And you should be mad. And you should be upset. And it's okay that it hurts. And I don't have an answer. But I'll just sit with you here. Because can we all just be honest? If you've ever gone through something hard, like I love everybody that called and checked on me and I had people call me. I didn't even know from places I didn't even understand. And it was so wonderful to have people loving on me and calling me and pastors and leaders just and, and people in our church and people. And, and, I, and I love, but you know what you don't like? You know what you don't like when you're going through something hard? Well, you know, God, 
Doesn't close doors, not going to open the window. I'm going to throw you out. I'm going to throw you out the window that God opens right now. That's what I'm going to do for you. I'm about to whoop your blessing out of this. About to kick your blessed assurance right now. Jesus, better save them, Lord, because I'm going to kill them. Like sometimes we mean well, and so we try to say things that are helpful not when they're really not helpful. Sometimes people just need you to say, hey, I love you. I'm sorry. It hurts. It sucks. I don't have an answer. I'll sit with you. I'll hang out with you. You can talk to me about it. I don't know either. So, but, but the truth of the matter is, why is typically not answered by God? The, the, the Danish philosopher we talked about, Soren Kinkard, he said, life is lived forward, but typically not, underst- but only understood backwards. It's lived forwards, but understood backwards. I mean, if you think about the, the book of Job, the reason people wrestle with the book of Job is we try to understand why such a righteous man went through such horrible stuff. And we read the book, assuming if we read the book, because I read the book again, we read the book, assuming if we read the book, we're going to find the answer to why bad stuff happens to good people. And I can tell you that is the one question that is not answered in Job. What God does say is, let me come down. We're going to talk. Let me ask you some questions, Job. I read the book. That's what he says. Like, where were you when I was creating everything? I mean, all it really says is the world is too complex and too great. And that, that in our world, unfortunately, because essentially of the fall, it was not created to keep suffering from happening. That's really all the book of Job says. Like, it doesn't ever answer the question, why? But we turn to it because we want to know. We want to know the question, why? But the truth of the matter is, is that to move forward, you don't have to answer the question, why? But if you don't answer, but if you stay asking the question, why, you'll stay stuck in whatever you're stuck in. The truth is, you don't need an answer to move forward. But if you stay tied to that question, you'll stay stuck. If you want to know why, you'll stay stuck to the trauma. If you want to know why, you'll stay stuck to the pain. You'll stay stuck to the darkness because you're going to stay stuck in the past trying to figure out something that God's not going to explain right now that you don't have the capacity to understand right now. But you're going to stay stuck as long as you stay stuck on that question. You're going to stay stuck to that thing. There are things that you can't control and there are things that God won't control. And there are things that happen. And let me tell you something I know. God is never working in the past. And you can stay stuck to the question, why I stay stuck in the past and the trauma and the pain? And I get it. First of all, it was real. It hurt. It sucks. It stinks. It's terrible. I'm sorry. It's real. It's okay to acknowledge all of that, but you can't stay stuck there. And why keeps you stuck when God wants to move you forward? And and the Bible says, think about this. God supplies all of our needs. (laughs) So if you needed the answer, he would give it to you. 
He supplies all your needs. And if you needed the answer, he would supply it. And if God hasn't supplied the answer, it's because God doesn't believe you need the answer in order to trust him and move forward and overcome and win. In fact, the moment you have understanding, you no longer need faith. And sometimes God will keep you from understanding to keep you in faith so that he can finish writing his story through your life. Man, that's good. We won't understand him, but the Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in him. And God's like, if I give you understanding, you no longer need faith. And you need faith. And I need you in faith to get you out of this. So if it comes down to whether God will give you understanding or faith, he will give you faith every time. (laughs) Why keeps us stuck? So I was looking at the Bible, I was looking at the Bible, I'm like, you know, God, did you ever answer the question why? And I found one, I was like, ha, 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 God answered the question why, God answered the question why. It's in, it's, it's in um, John chapter nine. But then when I looked at it, God was like, I didn't answer the question why. <sighs> you are so mean <laughs> and so magnificent and don't kill me. Um, but John 1, 5, this is the man born blind. And it says, and when they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was customary in their day. They believed that people who were struggling with ailments such as blindness, it was because of someone's sin. Very legalistic, right? Very pharisaical, right? And so obviously we're thankful for the grace of Jesus, but God doesn't punish people with sickness, God put all of, oh, this is so good. You just, I just want to say this. Maybe it's you at home. God put all your sickness on Jesus. And God put all your punishment on Jesus. And he would be completely unjust to punish Jesus with your sin and to put his, your sickness on him and then somehow give you sickness in a way to punish you. That's not even God. Okay, so anyways, they believe that. And they said, so here's essentially the question. Why is this man blind? Why not that man or that man or this man? Have you ever, why me? <laughs> like like you, you wouldn't wish what you're going through on anybody else, but you do kind of wonder maybe if somebody else was maybe a better candidate for it. <laughs> Honesty so good for your soul. So, feels so good when you say it, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. I was so honest right there. So they're saying, why is this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, well, it looks like the answer to why, but it's really not. He says, neither this man nor his parents' sin, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed to him. One verse says, so the glory of God would be seen in him. Now, at first glance, you think, well, Jesus is telling me why, but Jesus didn't actually tell you why. Because he still didn't tell us why this guy. God can glory out of anybody. See, the, the truth is, this is so good. They were asking the question, why? Jesus gave them a better question. What? What is a better question than why? And if you're stuck and you're in ashes and life stinks, you got to stop asking why. Because that's not a question he's going to answer. 
and start asking what? Because that is a question he's going to answer. See, they were asking, they were asking, why is he blind? And Jesus said, you should be asking, what is God going to do in this situation? They were asking, why is he blind? And he's saying, what glory is God going to bring out of this brokenness? They were asking why. And Jesus like, don't ask why. Ask what? What is next? What are you doing? What are you doing now? God isn't working in the past, but he is working in the present. God is a now God. Today is the day of salvation, right? Now is the time. God is the God of now. He owns the moment better than anybody else. And if we're back here in the past, then God has moved on to the present and we're asking why. And he's standing over here like, don't ask why. Come on. I get it. It's bad. I get it. I understand. My own son asked the question. I totally get it. Come on. Come this way and ask what. Ask what I'm about to do. Ask what glory I'm about to reveal. Ask what miracle is about to break. The miracle may be tied to the question that you ask and when you ask the right question God's able to release the right answer and a miracle and a movement takes place that's so good it's a better question ask a better question ask what God what do you want to do in my life what is my next step we ask that question all the time God what what kind of miracle are you going to make out of this mess Ask a better question. Here's the third thing. Write it down. Drop it in the chat. Trust there is more to the story. Trust there is more to the story. Elizabeth Elliot. Um, maybe you're not acquainted with her. If you read her book, uh, Through the Gates of Splendor, if you saw the movie, The End of the Spear, it's the story of Elizabeth Elliot. But uh, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband, Jim Elliot, um, they got married. They moved to Ecuador. Um, they got married in Quito. They, they moved down to the Amazon, and they, they were missionaries, and they wanted to reach this unreached people group, the Warani tribe of this, this indigenous people. And so they're in the Amazon. They, they learn some phrases in their language that basically, like, we're friends, like, you know, because they wanted to try to infiltrate, and, and there's no Bible in their language, right? This is 1950s. And so in 1956, they go to Ecuador, and they're going to they're going to preach the gospel. They're going to make contact. And so it's it's Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Nate, Rachel Saint, brother and sister. And 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 so they go down and they make one contact. And then the next contact, something happens. And Jim and Nate are speared to death in the Amazon. And it will take some time before Rachel and um, Elizabeth to find out. Think about asking why. Like, God, we gave up everything. We moved to Ecuador. We're trying to preach the gospel to a group of people that have no Bible in their language. They have no contact with the outside world. And my husband is speared to death by the people he's trying to preach the gospel to. It would be easy to ask why. It would be easy to think that these ashes are the end. But that's why I love Elizabeth Elliot, because one of her quotes is one of my favorites, because it says one thing. This is Elizabeth Elliot. One thing I am perfectly sure. God's story never ends with ashes. Because, see, the rest of the story is in 1958, she and Rachel and now her her toddler daughter, who is about 
two or so, two or three at the time, end up going back to the Warani tribe. They get, they infiltrate that tribe and they spend two years eating like uh, rotisserie monkey limbs and living in mud huts. I just put that in there because it's cool. Like I was an expert one time, I had rotisserie guinea pig. That's pretty cool. But like roasted like monkey limbs. Are y'all hungry? Remember on Indiana Jones where they eating the monkey brains? Y'all want some soup? I just did that to get you over your hunger so you focus on this last point. And so, and so they, spend, they spend their time down there preaching the gospel and they win the entire tribe, including the people who murdered their husbands. They win them for Jesus. And this is what she says. I am convinced that God's story never ends in ashes. Ashes in the Bible, are they're a picture of something going up in smoke. They're a picture when Israel is under attack, Hezekiah and the leaders, they, they put on sackcloths and ashes. When, when Job loses everything, he, he sits in his ashes. When Daniel has the vision about Jerusalem being left desolate, he, he puts on sackcloth and he sits in ashes. When Mordecai understands the plan of Haman, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. When David David takes the census and realizes he sinned. He goes and sits in ashes because now Israel is going to pay a penalty and people are going to die. It's something went up in smoke. Ashes is what you're left with when something goes up in smoke and you see it all throughout the Bible. Great men and women of God responding to things going up in smoke. You see them going through ashes of their own. We all experience ashes, but here's the truth. The truth of it is God's story never stops there. Isaiah 61, written some 640 years before Jesus was born, but it's a messianic prophecy about the ministry of the Messiah. Jesus would read from Isaiah um, after he came out of the wilderness in Luke chapter four. We have that, but he reads these verses. But Isaiah prophesies 61 verse one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of Ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. You need to understand that the anointing and the ministry of Jesus. He doesn't just change water into wine. He changes ashes into beauty. You need to understand the anointing that's on his life. The hope of the gospel is that God takes your mess and works miracles. You need to understand that the calling of Jesus, you're not asking him to do you a favor if you have ashes and you want beauty. You're just inviting him to be who he is because he is not the bestower of ashes, but he is the giver of beauty. He's not in the business of handing out ashes, but he is in the business of taking ashes and making beauty come out of those ashes. And when I read, when I read that day, Psalm 139, verse 16, God, you knew my story. God, is this the best you could do? I remember in that moment, God's so nice. But God said to me, are you still breathing? Now I had to think for a minute. Now I knew I was breathing, but I was like, because I know God doesn't ask a question 
because he needs information. God asked a question because you need revelation. And God said, God said, are you still breathing? And I said, yes. And he said, then you must not be at the end of the story. And what I saw, that train track, I saw God create this story in my life and he wrote it and he wrote it and it was like a train track. And after he had the track set, he put, he put, he breathed life into me and he put the locomotive of Marty on the train track. And all of a sudden I thought it was leading. It was leading to this dark place. And I thought it was stuck in this dark tunnel. And I'm like, God, why, why would you write such a, a great story? Like you had a great opportunity here, God. And <laughs> these are the jokes, people. They're not good. They're just what they are. Um, <clears throat> but and then you set my course and you put me on there knowing I was going to end up in this very dark place. And in that moment, God said, yes, it's a dark place on the way to a great place. <laughs> it's a bad place on the way to a better place. Like, yes, you're going to go through a dark place, but that's not where the track ends. That's not where the story ends. Don't stop your story in ashes because your present suffering doesn't compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in and through your life. You've just got to keep moving. If you're going through hell, just keep going. Don't stop there. Trust that there is more to the story, that God is the author. And the reason you don't want to stop your story is because since he is the author, what is, what is the root word author? Where do we see author? Authority. God is the author, which means he has the authority to bring your story to pass. And it's a good story. He has the power and ability to move you beyond ashes into beauty. Don't stop your story. The author isn't finished with his yet. Don't, don't leave him. Stay with him because he has the authority to bring beauty out of your ashes, to give you joy where there's mourning, to give you hope where there's hopelessness. God is able and God is with you. That is Psalm 139. He knows. He's with you. He's powerful. He wrote your story. And if you've gotten to the ashes, you're not to the end yet. Don't title a life because of one chapter in it. Are you with me? Don't decide it's a bad story because of one chapter. Something else he told me you might want to write down. Don't let people with the cliff notes of your life become the critics of your story. Just a sidebar, it can heal you. God is the author, which means he's the authority. And no matter where you're at on that journey, no matter where you're at in your story, I believe your best days are ahead. Just don't stop your story. Say yes and surrender your script. Learn to ask a better question and then trust there is still more to your story. He gives beauty for ashes and no story of God ever ends in ashes.
Amen. Yeah, give him praise. Why don't you stand with me? God, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. God, you're with us. There's no place we can go that you're not with us. God, you are present. You are all-knowing. You're all powerful. God, we don't want to, we don't want to stop the story. We're going to trust there's more to it. We're going to trust your authority as the author. take a moment and just ask God what he's saying to you. Just if you're at home watching wherever you are, just take a moment. Just say, God, what are you saying to me today? What do you want to tell me today? God, I pray, I I do, I pray you'd speak to every person. Speak to every person, whether they're in this room or whether they're in a room wherever they are. I speak to every person today, God. When we're listening for God's voice, for him to speak to us, whether you're in this room or watching online, I want to give you an opportunity if you need to, to say yes. To say yes to God. Maybe you've never said yes. Maybe you said yes and then maybe you kind of said no. But you need to say yes again. You need to say yes to his plan. You need to say yes to his salvation, to his forgiveness, to his story, to his love, to his mercy, to his grace. You need to say yes to it. You know, I say, how how would I know if that's me? I I trust the Holy Spirit will make it known to you and that that you'll feel something in your heart or in your soul saying, yeah, I I need forgiveness or I, I need I need a relationship with God. I, I need to surrender my life. Whatever it is, there's that nudge, there's that thing inside of you that says, yeah, this is me, this is what I need. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray with you. In this room or online, just want to pray with you. So with our heads bowed, no one's looking around. If that's you, I just, you're in this room, you're like, yeah, I need to say yes. Would you just lift your hand to God? No one's looking around. Just say, God, that's me. I need to say yes. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Awesome. Any more? Say, that's me. Yeah. Great. Online. Maybe you. Yeah, God bless you. I just want to pray with you. If you lift your hand, it's, it's really your words, but it's just saying yes to God. It's something like this. God, I say yes to you. Yes to your forgiveness. Yes to your grace. Yes to your mercy. Yes to your plan. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new creation. Help me to live the story you've written for me. For the rest of my life, I say yes. 
in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for those in this room who are praying that and those who are watching and they're praying that. God, I just pray right now they would sense your presence. God, that you would show them you're with them, that you love them, you have a great plan for them. And God, we celebrate with them. And God, for all of us here, God, we we say we're going to keep saying yes. We're going to keep trusting there's more to the story. God, we're going to learn to ask a better question. And God, we're going to have faith and trust and believe, God, that you always get beauty out of ashes. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, you got one more shout, one more praise, one more clap. I want to... I want to ask our prayer team to come if you're on our prayer team. If you're in this room and you'd like prayer, we have people that would love to pray with you. If you lifted your hand, we have people who would love to pray with you. Online, um, you can text uh, My Pathway Prayer to 77977. We'll have someone pray with you. But if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what, we want to pray. We believe prayer changes things. We would be so happy to serve you that way. Everyone else, we say, have an amazing day. Go get like hunkered down and wait for the snow, I guess. But listen, we love you. God is for you. God is with you. We will see you next weekend. God bless you.